you. Thanks. Well, there is a greeting in, in Hebrew that everybody uses, right? Do we all know what it is? Shalom. So the, the, um, that's the very unofficial version. Let's see if I can get the official version. I'm sure that I'm going to totally botch it. It's Shalom Alham. I think, oh, you got to go, oh, and I don't have enough spit quite for that right now this morning. Um, so, but we did find a, a, an easier way to say it. Mary actually found a plaque in one of the um, one of the shops that we went to, and uh, we thought of a mutual friend of ours, and she found a plaque, and then she found a mug and got it for her. I found a T-shirt, and I'm totally excited about it. So this is <laughs> Shalom, y'all. So, so the cool thing is, as soon as Mary found it. Um, I thought it was really cool because our um, guide, who is um, a Russian Jew, and he immigrated when he was, I think, 17 to Israel um, to help populate is Israel to, to get it going. Um, he talked about this. And the cool part is, this is the, the thing that I totally enjoyed about the entire trip, is like these little details, is that this phrase is probably how they knew who Peter was when they on the trial of Jesus, when the cock crowed three times, because of his accent and because of his use of shalom, y'all. I thought that was really cool. I was like, oh, I never thought of it that way. You know, it just says that she recognized, that the servant girl recognized him. Well, they recognized him because of his greeting. And I thought that was really, really interesting. So there were a lot of little things like that that I totally geeked out on. I love history. I love those little things that, like, make make um, the Bible more human. And I don't know about you, but I grew up in the church, and, and I read it, and it's like, oh, my goodness, you know, it just is so uh, out there and so hard to obtain. And then you go to this place, and you learn stuff like this. It's like, oh, man, they were human. They, they talked like us. They had accents like us. They had, they had um, uh, you know, ways of doing things just like we do. So um, I got to go with my parents, which was a lot of fun. I haven't traveled with my parents besides family reunions and stuff like that. Um, so, uh, but I got to tell on them just a little bit. They call themselves cute. My dad does. But I've got to remind them that they are ridiculous. And so these stories are, um, if I have, this is my mom. Um, so she is adventurous. She loves going on out and doing crazy things like I do. Um, so we, uh, we went camel riding. And I think that you guys are going to go on the camels, right? Um, and the, the, the group from here is going to Israel uh, here in November. And so I think that they're going to go ride camels. It's very, very interesting. Um, my dad said, heck no, he's not going to ride a camel. He's, uh, he's very reserved. He calls himself a curmudgeon as well, so, and that's very apt. So this is the picture of me and my mom uh, riding a camel. My mom is trying to concentrate on holding onto the camel as it's walking and take the picture for me. So that's why she's so solemn right there. She's like just trying to concentrate so hard. Um, it, that was a lot of fun. And then my dad... This is the only picture that I got. Um, this is my dad. We are on the Lake of Galilee, and we actually got him to dance. He doesn't dance, but we got him to dance and do a, a traditional Jewish dance. Um, he has his hat pulled down over his forehead. 
My dad was accident prone on this trip and totally embarrassed. And I told him that I was going to tell uh, this story. Uh, the first time he was walking and had his phone out, I believe, and he somehow tripped and fell and hit his head. And he had this big old like scrape on his forehead that he was embarrassed about. When he told my mother about it, my mom was like, oh, no, we didn't bring extra glasses. He's totally blind as a bat. And so thank God he didn't break his glasses and he didn't break his phone. So the next day, he was trying to concentrate on where his feet was going, saw a branch, looked down, and then all of a sudden the branch was there. So not only does he have a spot here, he has a spot here that everybody can see. So he has his head over there. The third time... The same day as the branch, we were out hiking, and he doesn't like tennis shoes. He likes slip-ons. So he and I believe that he was wearing the wrong shoes to go hiking on this hike. We were, I don't quite remember, we were going to go see ruins. And he was going down these stairs. And um, ancient times did not have um, codes. They, they would have, you know, all of their, their steps are different, different levels. So he's, he's had two hip replacements. So he's going down these stairs trying to be very, very careful. So he decides to go off to the side where it's a little bit more of a gentle slant. Well, he goes off to the side and slips and does the splits. I was there for that one, and I was just like, oh, my gosh. I love my parents dearly. Thank God his hips didn't go out, and thank goodness he didn't get a concussion with how many times he hit his head. So I love my parents dearly. They're awesome. They're phenomenal. They are cute. I hope they aren't listening. Um, and but I have to remind them that uh, they are ridiculous. So um, we got to go to a lot of different sites. We actually stayed out of the city a lot. And um, in Jerusalem, there are a lot of places uh, that have uh, uh, various churches that have been suggested that things happened on that site. And so they all of a sudden build a, a, a church on it. So um, there's uh, one where they think that Jesus um, died. It was just like suggested, oh, yeah, it might have died. You know, Jesus might have been buried there, not died, but buried. And then um, so the Catholics have a church there. We went to a lot of different churches. We went to one church that has... Um, there is no, I don't think any real significant history behind it. They just su- suggested it. And there's five churches that are battling over one little plot of land. And that was very, very interesting to go see. Uh, we did get to go to a, um, a Catholic church that uh, they had some art that really impacted me on, on this trip. Um, and uh, I'll get more into the trip as we go along. But, uh, and I, and I, talked with God. I was like, God, what can I preach on? This is one of the ones that I thought about, uh, thought about preaching on. Um, if you can go to the next slide. Um, this is a painting about um, the a woman who touched Jesus' hem. And I thought that this was very impactful because he talked about the dress, the Jewish dress and what, what it all represented. And I couldn't remember everything. And as much as I took notes, it was hard to keep up with, with uh um, Mickey, who was our, who was our um, tour guide. But this impacted me because I think of the hem as being up higher when I read the Bible. But really, it's the dirtiest part. 
And the impact was that she said, if I can, t- if I can touch the dirtiest part of his hem, I would be healed. How deep is that? that? That even if we could get even to the closest part of how dirty God is, which he's not, we might be saved. But that's where grace comes in, and that's where Jesus comes in, and that's where he bridged that gap in saying, I will cover your sins. I will take that dirtiness and cover it so that you can have relationship with your Father in heaven. And I did this... this um, this picture just really impacted me. And I'm like, Lord, I want to preach on this. And he said, no. <laughs> so I was like, no, dang it, this is, this is an easy one. Um, uh, but he, we spent most of our time in the desert. And um, the Lord is like, you're going to talk about that and talk a little bit about your life in living in the desert. Um, so that's, that's where we were. We were in the desert most of the time. I did not have an aha moment, like I was telling Pete in the back, I did not have an aha moment that, while I was there. Um, I truly believe that I was there more for my roommate than I was for myself. And so I was like Mary and hiding things away in my heart to ponder them later. So I had more of an impact coming back when I started processing a lot of these things. And actually, I'm still in the process of processing a lot of these things that the Lord is walking me through. And I would love to go again. I've looked at going. Um, there's a project called the Nazareth Project. It's one of the largest hospitals in Israel that um, allows foreigners to come and work in it. And so I sort of kind of thought about that, you know, go there for four weeks. And But I, I think the Lord is saying no to that. So who knows? We'll see. I'll get there eventually and go back and, um, and go visit everywhere again. Um, so... With that said, let's get into the word and um, let's pray. (laughs) Oh God, I thank you so much for your faithfulness. God, in, in, in where we're at and where we're going and where we have been, you have just been so faithful. Jesus, I just pray that it won't be my words that come through, that it will be your heart that comes through. And Father, anything that is of my flesh that I speak, I just pray that it will die before it exits my mouth. God, I just pray that you will be in the center of this, that it won't be about me, that it will be all about you and your grace and your loving kindness and how much you love us and want to be a father to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So when, when I think of desert, I think of desolate, right? There's a lot of desert places here in the United States, gorgeous places in the United States that are desert. I grew up in Salt Lake City. My dad grew up in the desert of Utah, so we spent a lot of time going out there and visiting family. Um, so I, I'm not immune to the desert. I've seen the desert um, we spent a lot of time out there. It's, uh, you know, not especially green like it is here. Um, the interesting thing that I found out is that it only rains 25 days out of the year in Israel, and they're going through a drought right now, so maybe they've seen 15. Um, so it, it's deserty. It's desert. It's even beyond desert from what we understand here in the United States. And I have equated my my spiritual walk as being in the desert for a long time. Even though I've done a lot of things, I've traveled, you know, I felt like God was 
calling me, saying, okay, go here, go here, go here. But I have felt like I have been walking in a dry desert for the past 15 years. I, um, before I came here, I went down to L.A. I was looking at moving to Papua New Guinea to help out a missionary family, and that got shut down. So I wound up in L.A., and that was the time of my life. I felt so, like, not in the desert, totally opposite. God was talking to me on a daily basis. I was getting stuff out of the Word. I was, you know, filled with the Holy Spirit, being able to talk to people on the street and, tell, you know, basically read their story and say, this is what God is saying. I moved back here. And that happened for maybe a couple of months, maybe to a year. And then it started to peter out as I got into real life. As I started my job, as I started um, even ministry, doing things that I love to do. And I can, like, like I said, with that picture, that's an easy sermon. I can pick that up. I grew up in the church. I know the Bible stories backwards and forwards. I can take spiritual points and say, hey, This is what God is saying. But spiritually, I was pretty dry. It was hard for me to get up in the morning and read my word, let alone stay up at night and read my Bible. Just life, I got, you know, I would go to work and come home tired and take a nap, and then all of a sudden at 7 o'clock I need to eat and then go back to bed and be up at 4 o'clock in the morning again. I mean, so my, my walk got, got spiritually very dry. And as I was processing this, and, and as I read, you know, do read the Bible and my understanding of what the desert is, my understanding of the desert is that it's a punishment. <laughs> you know, I don't know about you, but when I think of the Israelites and going through the desert, I say, hey, that was their fault because they came out of Israel and they started worshiping the old idols instead of worshiping the God of their fathers. And so it's their fault that they were in the desert. And so I started trying to look through my life. Don't we all do this in some ways and say, what did I do wrong, God? What do I need to forgive? I mean, in the deepest, darkest parts, it's like, what did I do wrong? When things go wrong, it's like, I didn't do anything. Well, sometimes it's not about what we've done, but about what God wants to teach us in those moments. One of the big things that, um, that God wanted to teach the Israelites um, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, so even one of the one of the people that I I admire is Mother Teresa. And when she came out, or when when the autobiography came out about her, she talks about how she did not hear from God for 50 years. How crazy is that? This woman who did amazing things for her country, for her people, to uplift the poorest of the poor, the, the people who were, not, who, who were in the shadows, who were forgotten. She only heard from God once. <laughs> and it was to go to the leper camps and go love on those people. And she states that she didn't hear from God again until 50 years later after that point. What dedication. And here I am wallowing in my own muck and saying, oh man, you know, what have I done? Why, you know, why God? Why are you disciplining me? What have I done? And so I just am like, oh my goodness, wait a minute, time out. 
She went 10 years longer than the Israelites did. So what, what was God teaching her? What was God showing her? I don't think that the desert is what we make it out to be. I think it's actually something very good and something that can cause us to grow a lot. And, and the Lord brought me to this passage in Exodus um, that, that made me re-look and, and see what, what the desert is like. And what the Israelites went through. In uh, chapter 13, uh, verse 17. Now Pharaoh let the people go. God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines. So he did not lead them on a straight path. That's number one. Okay? Not a straight path. And you're like, okay. Even though it was near. For God said, the people might change their minds and see war and return to Egypt. Hmm. Hence, God led the people around the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the sons of Israel went up um, in, the, in myrtle array from the land of Egypt. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. This is what I found significant as well in this passage. Joseph uh, took, or sorry, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, and he uh, that he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, "God will surely take care of you. You shall carry my bones from here with you." Um, then they set out from Sochus, um, the camp of Ithim. On the edge of the wilderness, and the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud uh, by day, and led them on the way, and a pillar of fire by night, uh, to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. They did not take the uh, uh, he did not take the cl- uh, pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of night. Um, Sorry, they, he did not take away the pillar of uh, the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of cloud by night uh, before the people. So two things, or actually three things, I can take out of that is that one, Joseph, in his wisdom, four hundred was it four hundred? No, it's three hundred and fifty years before that, knew that God would take care of his people knew that God would take care of his family, his seed, knew that, and so made them swear 350 years later that he would take, that they would take him to the promised land. How cool is that? Is that somebody in our past has been praying for us, knowing that God is good, that he will bring us to the cross. How cool is that? Number two, God knows our hearts better than we do. That God doesn't always take us through the straight and narrow and takes us directly to the point of where we need to be. There's a lot of growth between A and B. And so usually, and, and this is what I read, the next slide, this is what I hear. Right? Looks sort of kind of familiar in a lot of ways. Have you guys seen this picture? 
Right? How true is it? How true is that? We want the straight line. (laughs) But God is like, oh no, I have some plans for you. I'm going to take you through some stuff. The desert changes the landscape of your heart. It sharpens our character. It uh, It reveals our motivations in ways that the mountaintop would never do. Never do. Because we get comfortable there and want to stay there. And then God is like, all right, let's go down in the valley. Let's go in the desert. And now let's refine those things that you've learned. And if we look at scripture closely, we see so many situations that happen in the desert to so many people that we think are holy. Well, one of them is. One of them was Jesus. Jesus was what? Tempted in the desert. Right? Right before his um, step into ministry. He was baptized. He had a mountain, a, a mountaintop experience of being baptized and the Holy Spirit coming on him. And God saying, this is my son. You better listen to him. And then automatically he was taken out to the desert. He was led out in the desert. And he, uh, who knows what, I mean, we know sort of kind of what happened, but that was refining moments, right? And saying, what would Jesus really do? Is he going to make bread, or the, the, the stones into bread because he was hungry, because he could? Or was he going to trust in God? Was he going to throw himself off the temple so that all the angels would, would worship him? He already knew what God's plan was for that, his father's plan for that. Then we look at Abraham. As he finished worshiping God in, in the desert, and God spoke to him and said, all right, we're going to take you on out into the desert, and I'm going to put you in some fertile land. And, and um, you know, then, then his, his nephew Lot, you heard about, you, you remember that story where they were basically needed to part ways, and, God's, and, and he said, all right, which way are you going to go, Lot? Lot took the very fertile land. And Abraham said, all right, I'll take the desert. Because what did he know about God's character? That he would take care of him. That he was faithful to what he said, his promises. God knew that the Israelites had been in slavery for 430 years. Slavery does something to your mindset in in bringing you lower than low. I don't know if you've worked with some people who have been really, really oppressed and their mindset of who they are and who, 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 how they are viewed is very low. And so God basically said, I'm going to take you out and prove my faithfulness. I'm going to bring you up, raise you up, build the character into you that I need you to have in order to be my people. And so as Christians, I think that we tend to get comfortable where we're at. Because it's easy for us to call ourselves Christians. But yet we conform to the world quite often. I I will be the first to raise my hand that I conform quite often. And it's easy to do on a day-to-day basis. And so my walk get, your walk gets very, very dry. And so when we go through those dry, dry spots, 
We have to learn to rely on God. We have to know who our our God is and how he loves us and his grace and his promises. And so the desert doesn't mean discipline. Sometimes if we don't learn those lessons fast enough, we stay in it for a little bit longer. But there's great grace and hope in the desert. The desert is just a tool to draw us closer to God. One of the psalms that we read in the desert um, was Psalms 23. And, and can I go to the slide? Um, just picture this. Uh, let's go to the pictures really quick. So just picture <laughs> this when we read it. This is what they call the green pastures. How crazy is that? This is what they call the green pastures. It's not like what we look at. So let's go, let's go back and read that and keep this in, in mind. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. In the desert place, he makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. He restores my soul, and might I even say who I am in him? He restores that. He guides us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear nothing, not evil, nothing. For you are with me. Who's with me? The shepherd, the good shepherd. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and in the presence of the bears, uh, lions. Um, They didn't have tigers there. That's where I want to go. Coyotes, wolves. You prepare a banquet. You find that food that I so need, that water that I so need. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. (laughs) Where do you get green pastures? Where do you get waters? The cool part is, is that our God is considered a shepherd, right? And the shepherds know where the water is. They know where the grasses are. To take the sheep. So the sheep, in logical aspects, has to trust the shepherd to take them to water, take them to the grasses to feed. How much do we trust God in taking us to those spots in the deserts of our of of our lives, of of our, you know, of where we're at, of our spiritual walks, of Uh, You know, the desert doesn't hold back any punches. Desert can be hard times. It can be losing your job, losing a family member, losing a car, losing your insurance, whatever it may be. How much do we trust God? God gave me actually a, a, a legitimate thing, and it was tiny. Last week we had the pastor 
uh, preaching, and we had the interpreter, and we went through almost two mics. I don't think Dan knew about this. But we switched mics in the middle of the second service, and the mic got turned on, and they only had one bar left on the one that we switched out. I was like, oh, man, I need to tell Dan. I need to get, I need Pastor Dan, I need to get batteries up here. And the Lord was like, well, hold on. What are you going to trust in? Are you going to trust in the batteries? Or are you going to trust in me to extend those batteries until after my word was spoken? Because, see, I think that the desert brings out those moments of, of learning of, oh, my gosh, I can rely on myself. I can do it on myself. When we start relying on ourselves, then we go to those desert places and we're like, holy crap, I have no idea what to do. I, I, I don't know where the water is. If we didn't have Mickey, we would have not, not known any of those little, little cool things to go into. Uh, the wellies to go see where Abraham struck the rock. So spoke to it, he struck it. But, you know, just all the little cool little things. If we didn't have a guide, we wouldn't know. It's how it is in our own life. The desert is a tool, a means to bring us, draw us closer to God. The desert is an exercise uh, that we need to be able to seek God if we really want to seek God. The desert can make us sensitive to God's pressures and moments to move. And I honestly think that that's one of the reasons why I have stayed in the desert for so long, because I'm a little dull sometimes. And the Lord's saying, all right, it's time to move. The desert does not last forever. The desert does not last forever. It might feel like it lasts forever, but it really doesn't. Because we have a faithful God who desires us to live in the land of milk and honey that he has provided. It might not look the way that we always imagined it. Just like me going to Israel, I have no, like, I would have never imagined this. When I read through the Bible, I think of it as in Washington State. Hence the green pastures. And then when we saw the green pastures, I'm like, I have no idea. God, you're going to have to teach me more. And so if we follow the good shepherd, we allow our experiences with God to take us where we need to be fed to where we have oasis, where we have that security, where we can live an abundant life. I know Pastor Dan has been talking about the abundance of life and, and um, I got to listen to him about talking about the Holy Spirit on the Sea of Galilee, which was really, really cool. But I'm just thinking in my heart, like, oh God, what does this have for me? And the Lord started just again speaking to me and saying, it doesn't last forever. What am I trying to teach you? Come close to me. Draw close to me. Come close to me. So when we are in those desert places, I encourage you to seek hard after God when you just want to give up. How often do we just want to give up and waller in our own mud? 
and just just and in our own pity. God wants to draw you close in those desert places. He starts taking things. I I, I do believe that He gives and takes away, and that's a hard concept for us to understand. He takes away because we've started to rely on those things more than we rely on him. And so that's that desert place of starting to take away where we have to draw close to him and rely on him and rely on his power and not our own. Because we as Americans are very independent, can do it on our own. We do not rely on community very well. We do not rely on each other very well. We don't rely on God very well. We have those unique individuals who do, which we aspire to be like, but then we get into the real world and then rely on our own strength in a lot of ways until we are brought to our knees. And so my challenge to you is when you are brought to your knees and you are in that desert place where you are not hearing from God, that you're getting nothing from the worship, that you're getting really not a whole lot, and you're sitting there, Uh, from the message, and you were sitting there saying, God, what do you have for me? I don't know if I believe anymore. I don't know if I'm walking right anymore. Keep going. It doesn't last forever. Draw near to God. Keep following that cloud, that pillar, day and night, and he will lead you to water. He will lead you to green pastures, even our own green pastures that we imagine here even in more abundance. The desert also allows us to experience God's supernatural provision. How cool is that? It's pretty much what I got. So let's pray. I would like to pray for those people who feel like they're in the desert. They, they know that there's something happening here at Life Spring, but, but yet they feel like they're missing out. <laughs> and you can be new in the Lord. You can be old in the Lord. It doesn't matter. But I want to pray for you today. Lord, I just pray that, that God, that you will start revealing our hearts and revealing our motivations and, and what has happened on the mountaintop experiences in the desert, that you will refine us even more so, so that we can do what you have called us to do. God, I just pray that when we are in those desert moments or desert years, I pray that we will not turn our back on you, but that we will follow hard after you, that we will continue to follow the pillar that you have provided. That we will follow you in to the canyon where it looks desolate, but you know that there's water there. God, that we will follow you, even though we don't see the green and luscious grasses, that we will follow you to those grasses. God, I just pray that your anointing will continue to fall. You are already here, Holy Spirit. I just pray that you will continue to fall day to day, hour by hour, minute by minute in those desert places that we will pick up the manna and not grumble, (laughs) that we will be grateful and be able to know your supernatural powers, 
And God, when we do start to grumble, that we know that you will provide quail, that you will provide something else. God, when we're thirsty, we know that you will provide water. God, I just pray that we will know that you are faithful. Faithful in the big things and even in the little things and the little comforts that we ask for. God, I just pray that we will seek you in our own desert of our lives. God, I just pray that that there will be, be rain in our lives. That green will come, that growth will come. that your anointing will come where we're at. God, I thank you so much that you are a good God and that you are a God of the desert. And that you are a God of the provision in the desert as well, Lord. In Jesus' name.